The Holy Gospel for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreating them and killing them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Sisters and brothers, grace and peace to you from the God who invites us to God's own banquet. Amen. Three weeks ago yesterday, John and I hiked the Grand Canyon along with our good friends Asher and Josh, who live in California. Asher is a pastor, and Josh is a professor of vocal music, not to mention a saint, for hiking the Grand Canyon with three pastors. We planned this hike last spring, which was not far enough ahead to book any beds or camping spots at the bottom of the canyon. So this meant that if we wanted to dip our feet into the famed Colorado River at the bottom, we would need to hike all the way down and back up in one day. So we did. Here's the before picture up there. I'm not showing you an after picture. I did that once and regretted it. So at 6.30 in the morning, we began our descent on the seven-mile South Kaibab Trail. Kaibab derived from a Native American word meaning upside-down mountain, which proved to be true. We made it down in time for an early lunch, no sweat, quite literally. After enjoying some peanut butter sandwiches while our toes greeted the icy Colorado, we ventured back up on the nine-and-a-half-mile Bright Angel Trail. Now, I can't speak for my whole group, but at least for me, the moans and groans did not begin until the final three miles or so. That point when we could see the top, which meant we could see how much higher our legs still had to take us. Eventually, we could even see tiny little tourists snapping pictures of us like we were an exhibit of crazy folks who missed the memo that you can just get out of your car and look at the Grand Canyon. We all started craving salt, nuts, Gatorade, chips, anything to replenish our depleted bodily supplies of sodium. And needless to say, our feet had long since forgotten the cooling sensation of the Colorado River, and they just wanted to be done bearing our exhausted weight. It was at about the three miles to go mark 
that we saw this sign, the yellow bit says the caution, down is optional, up is mandatory. And the statement at the bottom, there's a list there, the statement at the bottom says hazard. Hiking to the river and back in a day can be hazardous to your health and is not recommended. <laughs> in the last steps of our ascent, our main goals were to get off our feet and to find some food, preferably again with a high sodium content. When we finally made it to the top, there was not even any energy for a celebratory group photo. We just wanted food and seats. It was around five o'clock, time for dinner, though it would have been time for dinner no matter what time it was. We made our way to the National Park bus stop to ride the park system's blue line back to the main park restaurant and or to our car to get to a restaurant, anything would do. But at the bus stop, we were last in line. Those tiny little tourists now stood full-sized near us, mocking our disheveled presence, what with their clean skin and their pleasant smells. But we cared not. All we wanted was to get on the bus and ingest some salt. When the first bus arrived, we knew there was not a prayer that we would make the cut, and we didn't. So we watched the bus pull away, and we waited for the next one, and waited, and waited. When the next coach arrived, that mirage of blue line glory, the driver ushered, us, uh, ushered on tourist after tourist, fresh-faced person after fresh-faced person. But right when we got to the door of the bus, the driver cut off the line with one silently horrific gesture. I was the first one of the four of us, and I looked the driver straight in the face. This would not do. Please, I said to the unfortunate woman, please, we hiked all the way down and up in one day. There are only four of us. Please let us on this bus. Silence. Nothing but a subtle shake of the head. She returned to her bus with a look as if to say, and whose problem is it that you hiked all the way down and up in one day? It seemed she had left us to wait for the next exit vehicle. I had lost any remaining sliver of dignity for nothing. Until a few moments later, she returned to the door, and now, in a redeeming silent gesture, come on up. We marched onto the bus with glee and gratitude, ignoring the judgmental stares of our fellow riders, well-kempt as they were. Once the bus started moving, Asher, ever the pastor, turned to me and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a bus driver sneaking you onto a maxed-out National Park bus after you've hiked down and up the Grand Canyon in one day. As Asher well knows, Jesus often spoke in parables to his disciples and other curious observers. One of the frequent genres of parables was like Asher's and like the one we have from the Gospel of Matthew today. They begin with, the kingdom of heaven is like... The parables in general are not so much intended as a direct logical teaching tool with concrete correlations as if we can create a chart to say person A in the parable is like person A in real life. But in the parables, Jesus is invoking our imagination. He's giving his listeners a glimpse of aspects and characteristics of God, or in this case, of the kingdom of heaven. As my seminary professor Terry Fretheim likes to say, there is a yes and a no to every metaphor, and so it is with parables. 
There are correlations in the stories that are true and implications that might be there that are not true. For example, we'll take the metaphor of God as shepherd, which is the beautiful image in Psalm 23. So sure, just like a shepherd, God cares for everyone and everything in God's care. God notices if even one sheep is missing from the flock. Those are the yeses of the metaphor of God as shepherd. But unlike a shepherd, God's income is not dependent on God's successful delivery of the sheep, nor does God collect any income at all as far as I know. We would like to say God does not look at God's own children as currency. These are the no's to the metaphor of God as shepherd. And the same goes for the parables of Jesus and the parables of my friend Asher. By saying the kingdom of heaven is like getting on the bus at the Grand Canyon, Asher meant to call out our feeling of relief after a long day of physical labor. He meant to name that feeling of being allowed in when it seemed like we would be left out. The glimmer of possibility when all hope was lost, those are the yeses of his metaphor. Asher didn't mean that the kingdom of heaven is like smelling horrible and then being silently judged by innocent onlookers though maybe the smell might apply sometimes. He didn't mean that the kingdom of heaven is like just barely making the cut and then wondering if everyone who made the first cut is sizing you up, wondering how you snuck in. Asher did not mean waiting desperately for a ride and then still having to stand on noodle legs for the journey is like the kingdom of heaven. Those are the no's of the metaphor. And so in the same way, we can use this lens when we read today's parable from Matthew, and it goes like this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who throws a huge party for his son's wedding. The guest list was created long ago, the invites were sent out, and yet on the day of the big bash, no one shows up. Every single member of the guest list is a no-show. Maybe they didn't understand the intricacies of online RSVPs, like was I supposed to click yes or no? Maybe they couldn't decide between the chicken and the salmon. Maybe they need a Saturday to themselves for once, or more likely, they just felt like doing something else. In any case, they somehow have the gall to refuse the invitation of the king, and they stay home. This, of course, is not okay with the king. He has thrown a party, his staff has hemmed and hawed over the seating arrangement, he booked the best caterer in town, and no one is there to enjoy it. And so the king sends out his slaves to the VIP no-shows, and the slaves tell them, hey, get over here. Did you, like, forget what day it is? Don't worry, though, you can still come. We'll hope the food won't be too cold when you get here, but alas, they all still refuse to go to the party. Some of them even kill the slaves for asking them. The surviving slaves head back to the king and report their unsuccessful recruitment efforts. The king sends them back to destroy the lives and homes of those who refused his invitation and somehow wonders why they didn't want to come to his party. But then the king tells his slaves to go out into the streets and pick up everyone. Invite every person you see, he tells his slaves. Don't miss a single one. All the good and the bad people bring them here to join the feast. The food is ready. And so they do. And here comes the whole lot of unexpected party guests. Tax collector with shepherd, prostitute with priest, politician with teacher, every single person. They're all there, 
And on their way in, it seems perhaps someone is handing out the official party gear that everyone is supposed to wear. A wedding robe so that everyone might be dressed properly for the occasion. When you're in the king's house, you wear what the king wants you to wear. But one guy refused to do this. He saunters in, refusing to change his clothes. Maybe he was wearing something that he thought was nicer than the wedding robe. He wanted to show off his shiny new tux. Or maybe he was so dirty that he was ashamed to soil the king's clothes and refused his generous offer. Whatever his motivation, he will not accept the gesture. He will not change, and he will not be changed. And the king throws him out where the text says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outside the banquet hall, there will be death and despair. So maybe like you, I find great relief that there are yeses and noes to the metaphor of this story. As hearers of this story, we can only discern what those yeses and noes might be if we look outside the story. This is part of the lifelong faith formation we talk about. If we put this story in conversation with other pieces of the biblical narrative that introduce us to God and God's kingdom, or God's realm, we might have an idea what those yeses and noes might be. So we might look to Psalm 23 and other stories to imagine what this story of the king's wedding banquet might tell us about God and what it means to be the people of God. In the story, we can say a few noes to the metaphor. For one thing, the possible implication that God first wants to save all the VIPs, but because they refuse God's invitation, God settles for everyone else, that God's plan A of salvation is for the people who are worthy of it, but plan B is for those who aren't. But no, throughout the whole story of salvation, God saves people who are not worthy, people who whine about being sent to the long-awaited promised land and the journey taking too long and the food getting old, people who refuse to keep the covenants they have made to God. And later on, Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes, the quintessential unworthy people in the eyes of society. In fact, Jesus dies because everything he says and does flies in the face of the systems that try to decide who's worthy and unworthy. So it seems like God's plan A for salvation all along has been for those who are not worthy. Another no of the metaphor is the possible implication that God gives up on those who don't accept God's invitation, or those who won't wear the proper garments, who won't look a certain way. But no, God's whole story is about not giving up on people who in their own ways, in our own ways, give up on God, or people who refuse time and time again to be changed by God and God's mercies. And so what are some yeses to this parable? One yes is that God throws a banquet and everyone is invited. Whether you refuse God's invitation at first or whether you think you're not worthy for it or whether you think you're too good for the invitation, you don't need God's mercy, you are still invited. God has set a feast for you. Despite whatever scarcity or death you may be facing, rest assured that you are on the guest list. God offers abundant life in the face of the false forms of abundance our society tries to tell you are necessary. 
bigger houses, shinier cars, perfect bodies, perfect grades, upward mobility, rugged independence. These things all end, but the banquet of God is always set for you. The food is always warm, no matter how long you have been waiting to show up. This Sunday, we're concluding our series on the five key practices of Spirit of Joy, and today marks the second part of two weeks on the practice of bold service. So I will add another yes to our metaphor today. Bold service is much like this banquet. Sometimes we are the ones being invited when we think we're not worthy to eat in royal company, and our bold move is to accept the invitation. Other times, we are sent out to invite our neighbors who are repeatedly told they are not worthy through systems that have kept them down socially or economically for years and years, generations and generations. By the grace of God, we are invited to feast together, and the bold move is to invite someone we might not otherwise encounter, someone whose life circumstances seem foreign to our own, someone who demands that we confront our own privilege. This past Wednesday, I got to spend the evening at Augustana Lutheran Church in the cathedral area of Sioux Falls. I joined about 20 of our confirmation kids and their adult leaders in visiting Augustana for their Wednesday night program called Logos. Logos is a partnership with Hope Lutheran and with Pueblo de Dios, our sister congregation that primarily serves the Latino community in Sioux Falls. The evening's event included a meal together and several different group activities with various age groups represented. During supper, our kids dispersed themselves around tables, mostly without our asking. As they ate, we watched as they met kids from neighborhoods different than their own, many of them from different cultural realities and socioeconomic circumstances. And yet, just as kids do, they joked together, and they told stories, and they complained about carrots. It was a feast of abundance, and we were the guests. We were dependent on the invitation from Pueblo de Dios and from Augustana. It was not our place or our food. We merely had to accept the invitation. And what if that is the image of bold service we draw from the parable of the wedding feast? To boldly accept God's invitation to feast with our neighbors, the good ones and the bad ones, however society has chosen to define what that means, and knowing we are all good and bad, simultaneously saint and sinner, we say as Lutherans. In our visioning process over the past year or so, we have discerned ways we think the Spirit is inviting us to feast with our neighbors. Last week, we heard from Pastor Kay Russell from the Pine Ridge Retreat Center, where the Spirit is inviting us to hear the stories of our Native American sisters and brothers. Our next visit there will be in March. In the coming weeks, you'll hear more about our hopes to sponsor a refugee family as a congregation. We're also building this regular relationship with the Logos program and Pueblo de Dios to have ongoing connections with our Latino neighbors. And the Spirit continues to invite us to feast with our neighbors through food to you and the banquet and with men at the prison congregation of St. Dismas Lutheran Church. In your bulletin, you'll notice there are several opportunities to say yes to these invitations. I urge you to accept at least one of them.
And for many of you, we recognize that the Spirit invites you to serve in other ways, in your own home with children or maybe ailing family members. The Spirit invites you to serve in the community with victims of domestic violence. The list goes on for you. Those two are forms of bold service, and we are grateful for the ways you answer the Spirit's call. In today's parable, we also say yes to the metaphor of the table as a place where God's kingdom dwells, not only because many of our service opportunities through Spirit of Joy revolve around food, but because the life of our faith is centered around God's own table of bread and wine. God invites us to this table of love and forgiveness where we are nourished with God's own body and where we celebrate that all are welcome. May we have the boldness to accept God's invitation to abundant life, participating together in the kingdom of heaven outside these walls and right here and now. Thanks be to God. Amen.